Where United goes, the curse will follow. But when it comes to New Mexico, the curse will lead. When you join the curse, a portion of your membership goes to help New Mexicans from all across the state. Working with organizations like the Read to Me Book Drive, Birthday Project NM, Watermelon Mountain Ranch, CLN Kids New Mexico, Casa Q, and so many more. Join the curse today and help us make New Mexico a better place for tomorrow. Hey, it's New Mexico United defender David Nadrum, and you're listening to the CurseCast. See, it all started one day when I was walking down the street. I look left and I look right thinking, how can life be so nice again? La-da-da-dum, 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 oh, sing it, baby. You're listening to The Curse Cast with David Carl and RJ Montano. David and RJ will take you through the latest recaps, news, and interviews from around New Mexico United Soccer. You can shoot us comments or questions at The Curse NM on Twitter, The Curse New Mexico on Facebook, or email the show at thecursenm at gmail.com. And now a part of the beautiful game network and recorded from the studios of ESPN Radio 1017 The Team, here's David and RJ with The Curse Cast. Thank you for tuning in. Welcome to the Curse Cast. We are live on Twitch, as always. Thank you to everybody who is tuning in and joining us uh, live via Twitch. Very excited today uh, to be joined by another member of New Mexico United's technical staff, another new member. Um, but before we get to him, RJ, how are you feeling, man? I'm doing good, man. It's been uh, it's been a long week for, yeah. for nothing going on, but uh, yeah, everything's going great. How about you? Doing okay, doing okay. It's uh, it's been a long week today, I think. Uh, a long week yeah. yesterday as well. Uh, these these quarantine days add up, but uh, we're doing good. We're doing good. Um, so let's uh, let's go ahead and welcome in uh, the third member of our team for this evening. Uh, that is none other than New Mexico United's goalkeeper coach, Mr. Peter Davis. Pete, how are you? Doing well, guys. Thanks for having me on. Excited to have you. Do you prefer Peter, Peter? Uh, either one, to be honest with you. I've never. Yeah. All right, yeah. All right. Yeah. Lou Wallace just subscribed. Thanks, Lou Wallace. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, <laughs> that's very distracting. <laughs> can you hear, can anybody else hear that or is it just me? I, I can't hear that. It's not coming on through this chat. So. Okay, it just, just ended. It's just my voice screaming yellow and black army, and then people also screaming yellow and black army. It's fun. Um, anyway, uh, Peter, as we said, excited to have you in. Um, New to New Mexico United this year. Um, Want to talk pretty broadly. I mean, this is the way we usually start with some of our new folks, whether they're players, coaches. Uh, at a young age, I would imagine you got into the game. Uh, what got you into the game at a young age? Yeah, I mean, so I grew up in a little town in South Carolina called Seneca, and you know, soccer wasn't really a big a big sport when I was growing up. It was really American football and uh, basketball and baseball. Mm. My parents wanted to incorporate me into inter, uh, extracurricular activities, and soccer was one of the main ones that they pursued. So I, I joined up with a YMCA team that was just down the road. And Seneca is, is right next to Clemson University, just literally right, right next to it. And um, my dad and mom were professors at the time, and they knew some people that worked at the YMCA, and that's what they recommended for me to do when I was about eight or nine. 
that's really how I was really introduced to the game, and it kind of just went there. That's interesting because it's kind of uh, a different story than we've heard recently. You know, we talked to to Salee recently, and we talked to David Estrada and Sam Hamilton, and and we asked them a similar story, and Gavin as well. Um, you know, and all of them talked about you know I came from this area that was you know really rich in soccer. Soccer was a big thing to do there. It's not the case for you. It's interesting that you kind of overcame it, not necessarily being a focus for people to get to where you've gotten. Yeah, no, soccer was definitely a unique sport where I grew up. And I think part of the reason why is my mom grew up in, in the United Kingdom. And soccer, obviously, as we all know, is a huge sport there. So when I would go over there when I was really young, it's a whole culture in those, in those countries. My mom grew up in, in Scotland specifically. So when I would go over there and I would see the culture, people wearing jerseys, going to a few games, and then coming back to that small town in Seneca, I was really enamored by the sport. And when I started up at the YMCA, I pretty much hit the ground running and, and really fell in fell in love with it. All right, so Scotland, are you a Celtic guy or a Rangers guy? Uh, I'm neither. 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 Uh, I'm, a, I'm a Hearts fan by, by trade, yeah. Nice, very cool, very cool. Yeah. So, uh, again, growing up in South Carolina, uh, you're not the only member of the coaching staff who grew up there. Uh, Troy and Zach both from South Carolina as well. Um, yeah. Was that kind of your connection to Troy? Did you meet him in Charleston? How did, how did it end up uh, with you being all of a sudden in New Mexico? Yeah, uh, before, prior to coming to New Mexico, I was in Orlando, Florida for the past, I would say six or seven years. I knew of Troy and I knew of, of Zach. They're both very you know, prominent soccer people, I'll say in general from South Carolina and obviously from, the, from a national standpoint too. So I had no uh, communication with either of them prior to, to coming over to New Mexico. Troy did a lot of research looking for somebody to come in to train the goalkeepers. And when he reached out to me, I was very surprised, but obviously very, very lucky and thankful to be in a program like New Mexico because I've always followed soccer, whether it's MLS, USL, the game in Europe, and when, when Troy gave me a call, I was really, really excited because what New Mexico brings to the table from a soccer standpoint on the field, from a supporter standpoint off the field, it's amazing. So it was a really a dream come true. So I'm really thankful for that. Awesome. About the community, what did you know about Albuquerque, New Mexico before coming out here? Yeah, not too much. Not too much, to be honest with you. I didn't know really what to expect when I came out in terms of what New Mexico had, what was in New Mexico, but also being a professional soccer coach. I was a youth goalkeeper director for the past 10 years, basically until I finished my graduate school, I went right into youth coaching, coaching younger goalkeepers, coaching college goalkeepers. And I always had that dream that maybe one day I could make it as a coach at a professional level. You know, New Mexico, I, I always uh, you know, never really knew much about it, like I said before, and as soon as I landed, it's, it's just been an amazing place from the culture of the diversity, the people, the food, just the way of life. It's been a really amazing experience for me. And I wish I would have known more about New Mexico prior to, to coming here. Uh, it's a really good place for sure. And how did you, I guess, what was the conversation? Uh, you mentioned, you know, you were aware of Troy because he's a, a big name, particularly in South Carolina, but also around around the country. But you mentioned he did his research to find you. 
how, what was the actual conversation? Did he just kind of call you out of the blue and say, hey, are you looking for a job? How did this work? Well, I think, like I said, he, he knew a lot of people. I think he did his research. And the most important thing for him coming into this year was finding somebody to, to train the goalkeepers. And I think going based off of what people have told him, he wanted to reach out. I think a lot of other people knew I was always open with my goals to playing, or excuse me, not playing, but coaching at the professional level. And sometimes it's about giving people opportunities. And I think Troy is a great example of that. And I thank him a lot for that too. So was it just a, a call then? It was in, you know, you guys had maybe never spoken before and he just calls and says, hey, this is Troy Lesane at New Mexico United. Uh, how, how, what was the phone call? It was, it was uh, a fewer call at the beginning, basically to gauge my interest. And then we had a couple of other calls leading into that basically, you know, phone interviews. Yeah. That's cool. That's cool. And uh, obviously you mentioned, you know, you were in Orlando uh, involved over at UCF. Is that right? I was, yes. I was. I was the the goalkeeper coach, their volunteer goalkeeper coach this past fall. And that program is a top-notch program. Yes, it is. (laughs) Scott Calabrese is a coach that I've known, another kind of South Carolina connection. He actually coached at Clemson University when I was – when I was growing up and he really changed the, the culture of UCF and last year was a great example. I think they, we made it to the, I think we made it to the Sweet 16 and I think Troy is a good friend of Scott's also. I almost went, almost went to UCF. I, uh, I got in there and opted to go to WVU instead, but uh, okay. it was, that was, that was a, a, on the t- toward the top of my list. I, I really like the campus too. Every, every dorm there has like a resort style pool. It's ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, that's Florida. <laughs> there's, there's bodies of water everywhere you go in Florida. Uh, and it's a massive campus and well respected in the academic side, obviously in the athletic side, it's, it's turned a new leaf and it was great to be a part of that for I mean it was quite a lot to take on board because I was a, a goalkeeper director at a youth academy and also volunteering with Scott at UCF so it was a lot on my plate every day morning sessions at UCF uh, office work in the afternoons for the academy I was working at and then training sessions in the evening at that academy so every day was uh, enjoyable You have to have a lot of passion to be a coach, not just a goalkeeper coach. You have to have a lot of passion to be a coach at any level of of the sport. And that's what really drives you, regardless if you're just getting into coaching or whether you're you've been coaching. You got a uh, you got a shout out. And you were kind of bouncing. Go ahead, RJ. I was going to say you were bouncing around in Florida a little bit, too. You you were at the with the Gators. I think there was another school there and and then UCF. So you, you kind of kind of learned the, 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 I guess, the style of players, the, the, everything from Florida. Yeah, so I graduated fr- from grad school in, in 2012 from Mercer University. And then immediately after that, I got an opportunity to coach at UF on the women's side. Was there for the fall season of 2013. And then in 13, I went to Montverde Academy, which is a private boarding school basically the northern part of Orlando, was there for about four or five years. And then I transitioned into Idea Sport Soccer Academy, which has their practices and games on the campus of ESPN Wild Water Sports, which is where Disney is. And then I was doing that with UCF at the same time. So I was able to get a lot of opportunities to coach different levels, different abilities, uh, different ages, 
And I think it really shaped me uh, in a way to where I was able to maybe platform to the professional level. It was, it was great. And I would imagine not a lot of time for much else, man. That's a lot of, that's a lot of work. Yeah, it is. It is. But like I said, you really have to have a passion, passion for it. And a lot of people start out coaching because they love the sport, but they really don't know the hours that you really have to put in. You, you, know, you don't go just to the practice, have a practice, and then go home. It's the professional levels, the preparation, the planning, and even the reflection on how those practices, meetings went are, are just as important. Yep. And that, that sometimes dwindles the passion of goal, uh, not goalkeeper coaches, but any coach, or sometimes that heightens the passion. It definitely heightened my passion to be a goalkeeper coach to help everybody that I'm, help, that I'm working with, but to motivate myself to, to, to get to the next level and help everybody I can, I, that I can. That's awesome. You have a, a shout out in the chat here uh, from okay. Dog 666 uh, He says, Coach Peter, it's Brendan from Orlando. So Brendan. Oh, okay. Brendan, yeah, he's a goalkeeper that I coached at the Idea Sport Academy, which is where uh, the ESPN Wild Water Sports. Nice. Yeah. It's good, to, it's good to hear from Brendan for sure. He's a great goalkeeper. Good, good. Uh, so yeah. I wanted to, uh, to, to bring up kind of get into a little bit kind of the art of goalkeeping if you will um goalkeepers i don't have to tell you are a bit of a uh, a different breed than any other players it's much more uh, of a mental position i played it as a kid i still play it in a adult leagues obviously very different uh than the usl but i still play it um kind of can you talk a little bit of kind of the mental side of being a goalkeeper no, Dave. So you were a goalkeeper. I was. Uh, I was my entire life as a kid, and I still play. Like I said, in adult leagues, I'm a goalkeeper as well. Much, much respect. Dave. <laughs> um, much respect. You know, goalkeeping. Goalkeeping is definitely a unique position, and I think that's the reason why, at the professional level, youth level, college level, there have to be goalkeeper-specific coaches, because there's a huge mental side to goalkeeping that people don't realize. There's a huge technical side to goalkeeping. There's a whole technical, tactical, excuse me, tactical aspect of goalkeeping as well. So you have the technical, tactical, the physiological, the mental. There's so many facets of goalkeeping that people may not really understand play a huge role in making sure the goalkeeper at the end of the day keeps the ball out of the back of the net, helps his team win. And I developed a passion for goalkeeping when I was basically at that YMCA when I first started playing. Uh, I, I didn't get into goalkeeping by by chance. I was basically thrown into the position, thrown into the position. And when I was U nine, I think that's when I first started playing. My coach, I was a pre- I'm a pretty tall person. I've always been a pretty tall person. So my my coach at the time said he looked at me the first day of practice and said, "Okay, you're going in goal." <laughs> and I, I think I told him I told him basically, "Well, I don't know if I really want to be a goalkeeper," or gave him a little bit of an attitude. The thing is, at the time, I didn't really know. His main job, his main role as to make work, to make money was he was a drill sergeant. So I learned very early that you never talk back to a drill sergeant, whether you're in the army or whether you're on the U nine soccer team. That's awesome. Uh, uh, that's basically how I got into the position. I love I, getting dirty, love throwing myself around, saving balls, and all that. I had a uh, I had a similar not not exactly the same, but a similar story when I was I think it was U eight or U nine something like that. Uh, our goalkeeper got hurt. Um, and I, I, I used to play, I was a left back, uh, and our goalkeeper got hurt and he was going to be out for the rest of the season. And so yeah. coach said, who wants to be in goal? And I said, all right, I'll try it. Why not? Yeah. Uh, and then I was a goalkeeper from then on, uh, it went yeah. really well. And I was, I was little at that point. 
Um, and then I had a growth spurt a couple of years later. So uh, I ended up being pretty good for a while there. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, I, I kind of got thrown into it too. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. Peter, Peter's growth spurt was probably a lot bigger than yours, I think. <laughs> I think Peter's is still happening. Like seven and eight or something like that. <laughs> yeah, no, no. I mean, I, I, I've always been pretty tall and everybody growing up said I should be playing every sport except for soccer. <laughs> but I always ignored them because I just had a passion for it. And uh, you know, in high school, it was the basketball coach coming up to me my freshman year. Sophomore year, it was the football coach. And I just told them no. Looking back on it now, it was kind of a mistake because I think cross-sport play is really, really important. Um, but I was always afraid that I was going to get injured and that I couldn't play any sport. But I think that was the wrong mentality back then, for sure. Did you so ever being have, so tall, Sorry, go ahead, RJ. Oh, sorry, David. Uh, being, being so tall, does that help being a goalkeeper? Because it seems like you have a lot more range of motion, a lot, a lot more space to take up. The wingspan? Yeah, it, it, it can. The thing is, my mentality is it's how you use your height as a goalkeeper. So for example, I'm, I'm six, seven, and if, if goalkeeping was based on height, then I should be playing in the Premier League right now. Um, <laughs> I, I, I don't believe that a goalkeeper, even though that's how I was introduced to the position when that drill sergeant threw me in the goal, um, I don't believe a goalkeeper should be based on size, it's how they use that size. And you know, I've worked with goalkeepers of all, of all sizes, and they've, I, I've, some of the best goalkeepers I've trained have been, um, from a physicality side have been very, very small and they can cover that ground that maybe somebody my height can't. It's all about the physiological side of the footwork, the reaction, the timing, all of that stuff comes into play. And that's why goalkeeper coaching is, is very, very important. It's about getting the best out of all the goalkeepers, no matter what height, size, et cetera, they are. Did you have a, a professional playing aspirations? Oh yeah, absolutely. I, I always wanted to play professionally, and that was always a goal. Even after college, uh, you know, looking back, I was I was quite ignorant because I always thought that I was always going to be lined up to be that next American player to go play overseas. You know, I wanted to go play in Scotland because that's where my family was. And, uh, that's you know my I guess my affiliation was were the teams in Scotland, and I. I Looking back on it now, I, I, I was never good enough, but I always had that pursuit and that belief and that grit to try to do it. And uh, at one point when I, I was, I just graduated undergrad and I moved to Charlotte and I was training with a goalkeeper coach. First time I had really trained with a goalie coach properly. And I was working sales jobs, trying to figure out what I was trying to do with my life, like door to door sales I'm talking about. Here. So like, I was trying to make money to pay for a ticket to go overseas. and. And when I got that opportunity, I was going to showcase my abilities and it was just going to escalate from there. And at one point, I, I just got really realistic and I was like, you know, I have this opportunity to go to grad school as a graduate assistant. You know, maybe it is time to, to hang my, my gloves up. And it was difficult because all your life you're thinking soccer, 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 professional. You know, you're following all these professional players and it, it, it can be difficult even if you really aren't that good. That mentality is difficult to break away from sometimes and and i did it was probably the best decision i ever made because god knows if i didn't go to grad school i would still be knocking on people's doors trying to sell uh, triple pane windows that was my job right out of college <laughs> well i mean being on the field now obviously again uh you know you're you're coaching at a professional level which is which is a big goal for you um 
but you have that playing experience. You know, you you played as a goalkeeper from the time you were in U nines. Do you yep. get down there and get physical and get in the mud with with the goalkeepers? Do you, are you out there laying out for for shots and putting on the gloves uh, during training? So I'll put the gloves on. I think that's an important thing. Obviously, because I'm serving the ball a lot, I'm wearing gloves. I'm wearing cleats. But I'm not. The session is not designed for me. It's designed for the goalkeepers because at the end of the day, I'm getting those three goalkeepers who are amazing people on and off the field. I'm trying to get those guys better. This is their job. My job is to make them better. I'm not trying to relive my high school career, my senior year. <laughs> to make um, you know, I do miss it all the time. But like I said, I'm realistic. I know that this is my job. I love doing what I'm doing. And, you know, putting the gloves on, it feels a little nostalgic sometimes because, you know, you're wearing the gloves, you're wearing the cleats, you're striking balls. I, I never think at all, because I think Troy would probably fire me if he saw me in goal right now trying to save a ball. But, um, <laughs> uh, you know, I, 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 my mind is working on the, you know, Cody, Phil and Ben getting better uh, and, and doing their job. So, yeah, that's awesome. Well, speaking of Cody, Phil, and Ben, they're three different style athletes. Can you talk about them and, and how you're working with them, what kind of things you're going through with them? Because Cody and, and Phil and Ben, I mean, they're, they're, they seem like complete opposites, all three of them. Yeah, all three of them, I will say right off the bat, bring so much to the table when it comes to goalkeeping. I think the mentality that they bring as well, they know when they walk on the field that it's about them getting better and making sure that we're prepared whether it's the first string, second string, or third string, that come Saturday or whenever we play our next game, that that the goalkeeper side of the program is is ready to, ready to go. So for all three of them, you know, Ben and uh, excuse me, Cody and Phil have been in the professional game for, you know, Cody's been in the game, the professional game for over I think over eight years, almost ten years. Ben is the the younger one in terms of being at the professional level. And they all bring different styles. And my mentality as a goalkeeper coach is it, I'm not trying to be uniform. So what one goalkeeper does successfully, another goalkeeper may be able to be successful in that as well, but they do it a different way. So for me, it's about figuring out the best way that works for them to be able to be successful, whether that's to make a save, whether that's to come out for a cross, whether that's knowing the right way to distribute the ball, and that can be a challenging thing as a goalkeeper coach, especially in preseason. Coming into a professional environment, you have three goalkeepers that have three completely different backgrounds, but you know they make the saves. But some may make it safe and safe differently. It's about managing and facilitating in a way, not necessarily bringing up the coaching points. So, you know, so for example, Cody is a very quick, sharp, powerful goalkeeper. Ben is extremely springy, like can jump out of the water. Phil is that dynamic for a goalkeeper. His height is just as quick as well. And it's making sure and managing the, the, the techniques and the understanding of the tactics so that what works for them sticks and maybe bringing up subtle things here and there that can maybe add to their, their, um, their profile as a goalkeeper, if that makes any sense. I'm going, kind of going on a tangent a little bit. No, I like I like getting into the, the technical side of the game on this, uh, especially again when it comes to goalkeeping, because I think it's a position that the average fan doesn't necessarily think of in a technical way, uh, maybe as much as they should. Maybe I'm a little biased uh, personally in that regard, but uh, 
you, you talked a little bit about kind of the different styles of these three guys. Last year, we didn't have three goalkeepers. We had two, um, and Ben didn't get to play very much. Um, and I know you don't want to, probably won't want to tip your hand too much, but do you see maybe a little bit more rotation if and when we start playing again? I mean, that's, that's a possibility, but there's so many question marks as to when and if this season will get underway. I mean, we don't even know when we'll be allowed to get back going. You know, I think the, the league is, is pretty, pretty optimistic that we are going to have a season. But um, there is a chance we may have a lot of games in a short period of time. That's a good point. So there, there is that possibility that we, we may have to, for the longevity of the goalkeepers, for injury prevention, uh, there may be an opportunity for that. But there's, I think just because there's so many question marks right now, that's kind of a difficult question to answer. But it's a valid question to ask. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so, you, again, you mentioned the, the three different kinds of styles. I'm going to put you on the spot right here. Penalty shootout. You got to save one shot. Who are you yeah. putting in and why? Who am I putting in? Yeah, who's in goal? Those three guys. I, mean, that's, that's, I don't know if I can answer that as well. I mean, that's, you know, I think uh, – Putting me on the spot here, Dave. That's that's a difficult one to answer. Yeah, I mean, yeah. The, the obvious that, that, answer. The obvious answer was yourself. Is, is what that, we were. Yeah, <laughs> of course. Of course. I say that might. This question might get you in trouble. Don't feel obligated to answer it. I didn't no, think of. The thing is, every the thing is, the pressure really in the penalty kick is is not on the goalkeeper. Mm-hmm. The pressure is really on the shooter, and it really depends on a lot of other factors about who that shooter is. Um, you know, is there a possibility of doing any kind of research of that team and how they deal with penalty kicks? So, for example, if we're in the playoffs, you know, we can do research on, you know, any any player that's had to take a penalty kick on the opposing team. You know, I think it's it's really a matter of understanding the timing. You know, there's a lot of different phases of penalty kicks to go by. You know, you can either react to the shot when it's hit, or you can kind of guess a little bit beforehand. And there's so many different areas of thought as to which option you should do. Um, I, I can't give you a definite answer on that. That would be injustice. <laughs> Sorry, man. So I, res- I respect them all three. I respect all three of them too much to answer that question. That's you, fair. Would you play them differently, like against different styles? Uh, so, like, if you're playing against like somebody that's that's kind of a, a tougher team, um, kind of like a Salt Lake that yeah. that's kind of body you up and stuff like that. Would you play someone else, and then against a team like Phoenix that's really soft? Would you, you know, switch it up? Um, not, not necessarily. I mean, I think when we, when we pick a, a number one goalkeeper, you know, we train that goalkeeper along with the two and the three goalkeeper, you know, in preparation for that, that game that we're playing against. So if we're playing against a team that, um, you know, is whether we're playing at home or away, I mean, we're, we're preparing that game. If it's a Saturday game, for example, that Monday we're preparing what we're going to face in terms of how that opposing team practice or student practices how that team plays against us so for example if one team that we play against plays a lot of crosses into the box for example throughout that week you know we're not just going to work on crossing but there's going to be a lot of focus on it throughout the, the goalkeeper session and obviously with how we want to defend those crosses you know, as a team rj i appreciate your your dig on phoenix there uh well done uh good to, to put that in whenever whenever we have the opportunity to uh 
Peter, we don't know much about Phil. Um, you know, we know Cody and we know Ben from last season. Um, yeah. We have not really had the opportunity to get to know Phil. Can you talk a little bit about Phil the person? Phil the person is uh, very quiet off the field. On the field, it's the complete opposite. You know, he's very loud. He does one of his greatest traits as a goalkeeper is how he communicates to his defenders or his team, excuse me. Off the field, he is very quiet, very respectful. Uh, he's had, I think I mentioned before, he's had a professional career in Germany for the past, I think prior to coming to New Mexico for about 10 years. Mm -hmm. um, he's very knowledgeable, always wanting to go over video, always understanding of the coaching points that we bring up as a staff, uh, coaching points that I bring up in the goalkeeper session. And he is a very good professional. He, he understands the, the role that we want him to play. He understands how we want to play. And off the field, he does a very good job of preparing for the games. That's cool. Very practice cool. too, yeah. A fu funny story about Phil. Uh, last Before last season, uh, New Mexico United had an open tryout. Uh, yeah. And... Andrew Bolte and I were both there, uh, sitting there watching these pl the players, and and most of them we were thinking probably not gonna make the club. Um, you know, they were much better than Andrew or I. No offense, Andrew. I guess I speak for myself. Much better than I. Uh, but you know, like ah, probably not a USL Championship quality talent. But there was one player, at least in my opinion, and I think Andrew and I talked about it, who stood out. And there was this this goalkeeper, and we couldn't figure out what the accent he was yelling in was. Uh, yeah. But it turned out to be Phil. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah, it was definitely cool. Definitely cool to see him that far back. Um, one thing that I've noticed, uh, Peter, on social media, from from the moment you you pretty much arrived, from the first time uh, there was any sort of uh, practice. You use video a lot, uh, and you're posting clips of the goalkeepers, their practice, their techniques. You know. Cody laying out for a ball, Phil tipping one over the bar, whatever it might be, uh, you put these up on social media. How key and how useful is video review of training in your day-to-day? -day? It's, it's, it's huge, huge. From a, from a youth standpoint, when I work with goalkeepers to, to the professional level, video is, is massive. And I got into videoing my sessions back when I was coaching youth goalkeepers because when college coaches would come to recruit the goalkeepers that I was working with, sometimes they couldn't get a really good look at them. And I've always been a fan of photography, and I thought maybe I can try to, you know, videotape as much as I can and just send that footage to as many college coaches as possible because at the end of the day, my job at the youth level was getting those guys seen by, by, by college coaches. That was the goal. And it just kind of grew on me. Uh, the first couple of times, I really didn't know how to edit the video, which is just, it's a pretty taxing thing. And then it just kind of grew from there. And I thought maybe I should just put this on a YouTube page to, so like it's a lot easier for a, a college coach to navigate if he wants to, to, to you know, maybe look at this goalkeeper. So I would send, man, so many emails to college coaches with their academic information and this footage of the goalkeepers in training. And it, I think it really paid off a lot that's the first facet of it. The second facet is the review of the video. Going over the session with that goalkeeper that certain things in person on the field, but there's other things that you need to show them from a video. What you're trying to tell them. And that's, that's huge for me 
absolutely huge. And you know, with Phil, Ben, and Cody, we go over the video. I email them, email all the footage that I have to them. And then, yeah, I put some stuff on my social media. I tag them in it because at the end of the day, it's about creating memories because you know, a few years from now, some of these guys may be retired or they may have gone to another club and then they can always go back and see, wow, I mean, I made that kind of save back when I was in, with New Mexico United or at Montford Academy or at Via Sport. And I think it's a really nice memory to have because I think, you know, people don't realize that as a soccer player, your career doesn't last a very long time. At some point, you're going to want to go back and kind of relive the positives of being a professional, the positives of being a college goalkeeper. And for me, it's kind of a passion thing too. I enjoy watching goalkeeper videos. I enjoy creating my own sessions. And that just kind of ties everything in together. It's, it's super important from the developmental standpoint. Uh, and, and for when they, whenever that is, decide to, to retire because they can always go back and watch it and relive some good things. And if you're so a Sunderer, Go ahead, RJ. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, obviously, we, we also we don't just go over the saves. We go over things that they can improve on also. But there always has to be a balance of when you meet with them and go over that video at, at Mesa del Sol, that it's you're bringing up good things also with things that they can also be a little bit sharper on. Um, you don't want to just bring up bad things or things they should have done better with. It's It's got to be a balance because they have to understand that confidence is such a huge component of goalkeeping. And when they see themselves doing well, whether that's in practice or when we have the games going again, that's that's only going to boost their confidence even more, in my opinion. And they seem like they're uh, the goalkeepers are the most confident players on the field. Would, would you agree with that? I think they need to be. I think there has to be uh, a level of confidence that, I mean, any any soccer player, regardless if they're a left back or a striker or a goalkeeper, they have to be confident. Because if you don't believe in yourself, you know, I can believe in that goalkeeper. You know, Troy can believe in that goalkeeper. The fans can believe in that goalkeeper. But if that goalkeeper doesn't really believe in themselves, there's, you know, there's an issue there. So we go over kind of ways to help with that confidence, not just with the video, but I think as a goalkeeper, it's imperative that they're confident because they're the last line of defense. It's kind of the equivalent of, of, of the quarterback in football. You know, you got to forget your last interception. You got to forget the last goal you gave up um, because if you allow it to, to kind of haunt your memory, then you're screwed on the next one. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's, um, it's, a, it's a vital component of the team, for sure. In my opinion, maybe I'm biased, it's the most important position. Um, it's the most difficult position in the most beautiful game, in my opinion. And with that, confidence has to be there. My job as a coach is not just to give them repetitions and just say, okay, we're gonna do 20 shots, boom, that's it. There's a lot of tactics, there's a lot of technique, lots of planning, but it's also about making sure that they're mentally ready to play and they're mentally ready to play in the game, which is most important. RJ, do you think you and I could do 20 shots? I think I'd get tired doing <laughs> that's uh that's tough so uh, i wasn't gonna ask um we, we've talked with several of the players and they they've been having like their workouts and stuff like this during this quarantine covid time um have you sent anything to the goalkeeper something special that you wanted them to work on during this time yeah so our uh our trainer tyler harris has giving has been giving them workouts to do as as a as a team and then I've actually given the goalkeeper a goalkeeper specific workout that's more handling based. It's uh, 
not a lot of equipment. They just need a ball in a wall. And it's really a ton of exercises that help with their agility and help with their hand-eye coordination. And that combination of the workouts that Tyler gives them and the workout that I give them that's goalkeeper specific is, is something that we've been doing since we've been on this break. And on top of that, we have Zoom meetings as well to go over review of games, review of practices also. And a question here in the chat from Expos Away Days. Uh, Scott asks, is there a goalkeeper coach that you try to emulate? So when I was growing up, that's a really good question. I, I didn't have a lot of goalkeeper coaching growing up until I got to the college game. I think nowadays, goalkeeper coaching, when it comes to you know, social media, there's so many goalkeeper coaches that put content out to, to show what they're doing. I, I think a lot of them may not do it to help benefit the goalkeeper as much as benefit themselves, unfortunately. The goalkeeper coach that I grew up really was Tony DeChico. And Tony DeChico was the women's national team goalkeeper, women's national team head coach, but he had a big goalkeeping background as well. And he really developed a big curriculum for goalkeeping when I was growing up. For me, one of the things I look forward to the most when I was really young was going to goalkeeper-specific camps. So for a week, you would go to a residential school and you would have, you would get worn out, but you would have soccer all day, but it was goalkeeper-specific. And Tony DeChico had a couple of those camps growing up that I, it's what I look forward to the most when I was that age. I didn't look forward to going out to the lake and hanging out with friends. I look forward to going, getting my, my butt kicked at these <laughs> camps when it's 100 degree weather outside, but you're playing goalkeeping, you know, it's, it's, it's awesome. But I, Tony DeChico's really big. Uh, Joe Macknick, who is another, he's kind of in the same realm as Tony DeChico with developing camps for young goalkeepers. Both of those guys really were pioneers. I think any goalkeeper that's knowledgeable of the, the history of soccer in this country would say that Joe Macknick and, and Tony DeChico were, were massive in the development of goalkeeping and soccer in general in this country. Well, you're a Central Florida guy, so I, I bet you'll recognize uh, when I was living in Florida, I went up to the, uh, the the Cocoa Beach soccer camp, pretty well known in the uh, in the area. I went to the, the goalkeeping coach goalkeeping camp there. It was a lot of fun. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Another uh, another question here in the chat. This one from Reelo2k uh, says, "What advice would you give to young goalies uh, slash players eyeing the U23 squad?" And actually, let's add to that. Just just New Mexico high school players, high school goalkeepers. Like, what advice would you give to them that that maybe aren't looking at the U23 squad, but also the the more elite ones that are? Yeah. So, my my advice for goalkeepers that are, I guess, at the high school level. Um, or maybe even if it's, we'll, we'll combine that question together. So for high school U23s, the thing is to always believe in yourself. I think mentality is such a big thing. Uh, a lot of people don't understand goalkeeping. So for example, if they feel like they did something wrong in a the game, they may get you know, ridiculed for no valid reason at all. And I think that they have to have a, and this is something that I kind of talk about with all the goalkeepers that I've ever worked with. You have to have kind of a, present and future mentality and not a past mentality. And understand that at a youth level, when I talk to youth goalkeeper coaches and youth coaches in general, every goalkeeper at the youth level is gonna make a mistake. Tim Howard, when he was young, made mistakes. Um, Allison, 
with Liverpool, he made mistakes. But the reason why those guys got to where they were is obviously proper training, proper nutrition, proper support. But when they made those mistakes, they knew how to move on from it. So I think for any youth goalkeeper and any coach listening, they have to understand that they will make mistakes at the youth level, but you have to be as supportive as you can. And you have to be patient as well as a coach. But for youth goalkeepers, I would say, don't give up. Keep your head up when you are unsuccessful. Keep your head down when you are successful. That's a motto that I kind of, kind of go by. Is that? Would you say that is the, the aspect or the I guess the trait uh, that you most look for in a in a goalkeeper? Something essentially humility um, or or the ability to just kind of keep pushing forward through adversity. Is that is that the number one or is there something else? Is there a specific trait uh, that you think is present in all successful goalkeepers? Is that for in relation to if I'm looking to bring on professional goalkeepers or if that's like with the youth? Um, let's see if we can get both. Like I said, I just, maybe a trait that you think is present uh, in that is maybe is necessary to make a good goalkeeper. Yeah, I mean, mentality is huge. Pressure is massive as a goalkeeper. Knowing how to deal with that pressure and have that present and future mentality is, is very, 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 very important. And also how they deal with the ball at their feet with the way the game is played nowadays is another component that I would look at. And, you know, how they deal with mistakes is another thing. How they let a goal in. Do they yell at their players that are in front of them? Do they just put their head down? Do they break the, the goal post? You know, those are things that I look at from a mentality standpoint. So mentality is huge for me and how they deal with the ball at their feet. At the professional level, college level, and the advanced youth levels, every goalkeeper is going to be able to make a save. You know, every goalkeeper is going to be able to make great, beautiful-looking saves, but it's how they deal with the ball at their feet and how they deal with that pressure in general. That's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah. Um, <coughs> you, obviously, you've got a background with youth soccer. Um, you know, for for a decade, a decade plus, more than that. Um, when you came in, was there any conversation with Troy about uh, any involvement in the HPP and the high performance program, or working with the U23s at all? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. The HPP is such a vital component of our of our of our program. I think what we can do for the youth of Albuquerque, or excuse me, the youth of, of the state of New Mexico, um, and the platform that we can maybe give them. I know because of this whole coronavirus situation, it's it's you know obviously on a on a standstill as well. But you know my role as a goalkeeper director, not just with the professional goalkeepers, is to help any goalkeeper that we have in that HPP program as much as possible. And we had a couple of HPP uh, sessions back before the whole coronavirus went about. And we put together sessions that were sessions that I could probably do with the professional goalkeepers, but it was also for the the HPP goalkeepers too. The the next component of that when we get kind of back up and running is that we're going to one of the ideas is to have the professional goalkeepers, so Ben, Phil, and Cody, before those HPP sessions, to actually do like a, uh, like a, like a TED talk almost with the HPP goalkeepers, to where you know with Cody and Phil, they've had almost a 10-year career each. So I think having those guys talk to the youth goalkeepers about mistakes, knowing how to deal with pressure knowing how to deal with fans, you know, knowing how to get to the college game. Because Cody played at Clemson University, which is a phenomenal college for soccer. 
doing that in like a TED talk for them and maybe even the entire HPP program is something that I was trying to prepare before this hiatus happened. And we treat them just as important as the, the, the first team. That's great. As well as the interiors. Yeah. I love to hear that. Love to hear that. All right. So a very important question, maybe the most important question uh, this entire time. If you're in a bar and some guy wants to fight you, which of the yeah. three goalkeepers do you want having your back? I know my answer, but I'm interested okay. in yours. I can, I can definitely answer that one. It would definitely be Phil. Yeah, that, I think that's the right answer. No, no offense to Ben or Cody, but that man is huge. That, yeah, that's the other thing that I was saying. You know, you know, Phil's a big guy, but you know, Cody and Ben, those guys are quick on their feet. So, that's a good point. I mean, that's what I was saying before. It's about managing the uh, <laughs> the, the techniques of each individual goalkeeper to get the best out of them. So. I would say Phil for, you know, that. <laughs> that's an interesting question for sure, but I would say Phil for, for now. Yeah, yeah Phil would Phil. knock a guy across the bar, but, I mean, in that same amount of time, I think Cody could punch five different people. The, the thing is with Phil, <laughs> Phil, is, Phil is such a nice guy that, I, I mean, he, would, I, he, he didn't seem like a fighter to me, to be honest with you. He's such a nice guy that I don't know. I think people would just be too intimidated to even get to that point, but... Um, yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't want to come across him in a dark alley. That would be bad. <laughs> um, kind of looking ahead, obviously yep. the hope, the goal um, is to play soccer this year, is, is to have matches this year. Um, you yourself have not experienced a New Mexico United home match yet. How much were you looking forward to that, and how much are you still? Uh, it's from, from day one when I was here talking to the staff, to the players, the returning players, excuse me, to the people that you meet in Albuquerque, the, the, the passion that they have and what they say about, like for example, the Cinco de Mayo game from last year, it, they, they say that it's such a, an event and the camaraderie that all the fans bring together to support the, the 11 players that are playing. I, I just get kind of chills on my back sometimes when I think about it because I'll watch games from last year and then I hear, you know, people talking about the single de Mayo game or the amount of fans that they had consistently, how it topped some MOS teams and just the amount of pride that people have to be New Mexican and pride that they have to support a team like New Mexico United. I, I, I can't I can't wait. You know, I I've never experienced it, but I, I can't wait until that day comes. It's going to be a lot of fun. I think we're all in the same boat. Uh, can't wait to, to be yeah. back in the lab. Yeah, for sure. For sure. All right. RJ, is there anything else you uh, you had you wanted to ask before we uh, we call it quits here? Uh, there was another question in the chat from uh, Andrew. Um, with any luck next season, um, uh, I lost it. My, my screen kind of froze. David, do you see it? Yeah, yeah. So Andrew's kind of asking about uh, the League One uh, club, the U23s. Um, obviously, we do not have a a direct division one college team here in Albuquerque to draw from for that. Um, but kind of how do you go? And, and again, I don't know necessarily how much of a role and you can explain, but how much of a role you're going to play in the U 23s, but how, how do you go about kind of assembling a roster for something like that? Do you know the answer to that? I'm not sure if that's something that's in your purview. Yeah, I, we, we all have connections on the staff. So connections that I have connections that Troy has, Zach, Gavin, 
We all have kind of a, a network that we can use that are college coaches. And then we also get a lot of people that reach out to us, kids that are in college right now wanting to play with the, the League Two team. And uh, that's, you know, my role was also going to be a goalkeeper coach with the U23 team. So I was going to be working with those goalkeepers as well. And, you know, we were structuring a team until kind of this whole, this whole situation happened. But the network that we all have as a staff really kind of goes a long way in the college game. And it, it would have been a, an amazing thing to have, especially as maybe a feeder eventually for the first team. But like I said, we just have to be patient right now and hopefully in due time we can get that HPP program and that the U23 team up and running again. Well, it's funny because, you know, you can only have up to five players from a particular college team uh, for the U23s, for the, uh, the League Two team. Uh, I'd be more worried about you filling up from players from Carl, Charles, College of Charleston or Clemson because we've got so many South Carolina connections. Yeah, no, and now some Florida connections too, maybe some UCF guys and UF. Yeah, no, we, we had a lot of kids reach out to us on their own, and these are guys from, from California. Uh, I think we had a couple from Colorado. It's, it's, it's amazing how when you initiate a, a, a program that the, the initiative that people bring to the table from – all over the country, you know. I think we even had people from overseas that were inquiring about it, and it it you know it helped us out to have that amount. But it's really the sorting out that we needed to really hone in on. But yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And we had another question similar to a question we asked earlier. The question before was uh, advice to young aspiring goalkeepers. But this one, uh, being in the position you're in, do you have any information that you would give to young aspiring coaches to coach at the college or professional level? sessions as much as you can. I think I've coached goalkeepers of all ages and all ability levels. So that's U8, U9, up into college and now up into professional. I think if you have opportunities to do professional development, do them. I was able to, to do some of those when I first started out coaching and that gives you a good, a good foundation. There's a lot of avenues for that. I think always being open-minded is such an important component too. And never feel like you've you've reached the apex of goalkeeper coaching, because every goalkeeper coach learns. There's no exact science to it. When you feel like you have learned enough, that's a bad thing. I think you should always have an open mind, because the game always evolves, and so does the coaching. So I think whether it's you know, for example, I had a couple of youth goalkeeper coaches in the New Mexico. Uh, excuse me, in the Albuquerque area, we did a Zoom call a couple of weeks ago. And the first thing I told them was that, listen, I'm not here to preach and say that this is how you, this should be done. This is how that person should save it all the time. It should always be an open-ended conversation, whether it's with a youth goalkeeper coach or any uh, ability goalkeeper coach. And always have a belief and understand that you can never stop learning as a goalkeeper coach or any coach at all. Because when you have that mentality that you feel like, you're one and done. I know every single thing. Then you're you're destined to failure, for sure. Destined to fail. I would argue that uh, that is good advice for any part of your life, not just coaching, yeah. not just goalkeeper coaching, but in life. Like the moment yeah. you think you've achieved everything and you stop trying to get better is the moment you fall behind. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I think you have to be. I, I've noticed at the professional level that you have to be you have to be open minded with how you coach. And I've always had the mentality to be, as a coach, 
what I bring to the table is always an open book. So if I bring something to the table with Cody, you know, and Cody being that he's been a professional for so long, he's had a lot of different coaches, goalkeeper coaches, you know, he, he may bring something to the table and say, well, this is what I was taught or what I think about this situation. Um, because goalkeeping is so much detail oriented. And that's where that open book conversation happens. So we're all on the same page to figure out what the best situation is for them. That makes sense. And speaking of open books, a question in the chat from JHS Jefferson says, what's the best book you've read on goalkeeping? Best book I've read on goalkeeping. Actually, goalkeeping for dummies, right? (laughs) To to be honest, I actually, I have that book right here, right next to me. Hold on. Um, So this is a book about a a professional goalkeeper named, uh, actually, where's it at? I've got a couple. Uh, I'm, I'm a really big reader. So this is actually a book about a, a goalkeeper in, in Germany named Robert Einke, uh, a phenomenal book. Talks a lot about, uh, you know, it's kind of a sad story, but uh, he, at the professional level, had a lot of mental issues and had a lot of struggles in life. And there's kind of a, a sad twist to it, obviously, but I do recommend that because it covers so much about a goalkeeper's mentality. If I'm, looking, if I'm thinking of a book, that's more about like the techniques of goalkeeping. I mean, it's, it's, there's a couple out there that there's, I, to be honest, I recommend going on different platforms to, to find that as well. I, I can't name a book off the top of my head, but there are a few out there. It's just a matter of doing research. Um, sure. And for the podcast listeners, that was, that book was uh, a life too short by Ronald ring. Yes. All right. Yeah, I just I just happen to have it right next to me. I, I, I've always have a big collection of books next to me. I say it's like we it's like we planned it. It's like we planned it. Yeah. <laughs> Well, Peter, thank you so much for taking the time today. Um, we really enjoyed the conversation. This has been a lot of fun. One thing that we do uh, every episode when we have a guest on, whether they're player, coach, or otherwise, um, we give them a couple minutes at the end here to give a shout-out to whomever they want. Could be friends, could be family, could be fans, could be uh, former players, fellow coaches, whatever. Uh, but the floor is yours, Mr. Davis. Wow. I mean... Uh, probably just, I would say, just wanting to reach out to the family that I have back in Orlando, my girlfriend, Amy, and her children, Ian, Shailen, and, and Jilly. Um, and obviously to my family in, in South Carolina, my mom, you know, I know it's a long way away, but uh, I think about you guys a lot, all the time, and I miss you. Um, you know, so yeah, definitely the family, uh, for sure. Definitely the family, for sure. I thought you were going to ask me red or green, but I guess you know. <laughs> well, yeah, now that you mention it, I mean, come on. It's not a New Mexico United podcast or New Mexico-centric podcast unless we ask that. So red or green. So I went to a restaurant next to the university called the, the Patio, El yeah. Patio, the Albuquerque. And I had their green chili enchiladas a few months ago, so I would have to go with green. But right. they were phenomenal. I'm not a big spicy guy, but um, they were they were they were great. I've had those enchiladas and they are fantastic. But have you had red? <laughs> have you had red on anything yet? I, I have not had red, so I can't go Christmas just yet. Okay, so we gotta at some point once this is all lifted or you have the ability to to get some red. I, I love a good green chili enchilada, but my maybe my favorite food, one of my favorite foods in the whole world, is a good red chili enchilada. It's just okay. so good. Highly recommended if you get the chance, and and you will being here. Um, also, we gotta get your family out here for a match. Bring them on out. For sure, we, we were already kind of planning that. 
and it's just the whole the whole climate that we're in right now is is kind of put a pause on everything. But there, my uh, my stepson Ari has a has a jersey. Uh, my stepdaughters have have some gear as well. My girlfriend uh, has a shirt, so we're we're they're already prepared to come out for sure. But uh, they'll they'll be out soon supporting. Hopefully, maybe with you guys with the curse. They are welcome to hang out at our tailgates and and yeah. come cheer with us. We'd love to have them. For sure. Thank you guys so much. You guys also, you guys do a phenomenal job. I listen to your to your your cast all the time and uh, keep up the great work. Oh, thank you, Peter. Appreciate. Yeah, I appreciate you. that. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for taking the time again. Uh, we love these conversations. We love talking about soccer, but also more than soccer. Um, it's a lot of fun for us. Our, this is all RJ and I ever wanted from the beginning was to host a podcast. Yeah, so just just this. That's all we wanted. That's all we wanted. Uh, yeah. So so thank you again for taking the time, Peter. Yeah, thank you guys. Appreciate it. All right, talk soon. And we'll be right back uh, in just a moment with more on the CurseCast. Stick around. United goes, the curse will follow. But when it comes to New Mexico, the curse will lead. When you join the curse, a portion of your membership goes to help New Mexicans from all across the state. Working with organizations like the Read to Me Book Drive, Birthday Project NM, Watermelon Mountain Ranch, CLN Kids New Mexico, Casa Q, and so many more. Join the curse today and help us make New Mexico a better place for tomorrow. This is David Estrada, and you're listening to The CurseCast. And we are back. RJ, you're on the screen. We're back, me and you. Hello. Uh, Thank you so much to Peter Davis for taking the time to join us. That was a lot of fun. Um, Like I said, I said to you when we were off there, uh, I am a little biased uh, being a... A goalkeeper my whole life, obviously, again, a very different level than what, what Peter is used to. But uh, I've always, I always think that the mental aspect of the game for goalkeepers uh, is really overlooked and not talked about enough. So it was really cool to hear Peter talk about it. So, I mean, as you know, I, I grew up a baseball guy. Baseball is my sport. And, mm-hmm. and the goalkeeper is the equivalent to the catcher. Absolutely. A hundred percent. They run the game. They're, they're the player that's facing the other way. I mean, it, it's I think those two are so similar and you have to have similar mentalities to play both of those catcher a little more because you're going to get hit with the ball. I mean, everywhere in places you don't expect, but you have to have the reflexes to not let the ball get past you, you know, in, in both, both games. So I'm with you. I am very biased and, and I appreciate that, that position very much. Well, you were a catcher when you played baseball, right? Yeah, it was a catcher. That's why I said uh, yeah, you know, yeah. It's your the bias. smartest, the smartest, smartest person <laughs> on the field is a catcher. But I mean, it's it's also it's a mentality, like Peter was explaining. You know, it's it's very and very much like a catcher. You know, it's it's a confidence. You got to have this confidence. Um, also, there's a, there's a bit of chirping. I think that goes along with it, just like a, a, a catcher too. You know, you you've got to be kind of one step ahead mentally, in my opinion, uh, of your opponent. You know, you gotta you gotta be a, a step ahead of your opponent all the time uh, mentally as a catcher and as a goalkeeper. So I think that's that's really important. 
Yeah. Oh, with the catcher though, you have to coddle the pitcher, and that's always the first <laughs> part. Is he's like, "Oh, you're okay. We love you." Well, the okay. goalkeeper has to coddle the, has to coddle the center backs. So there you go. Is that <laughs> <laughs> uh, one thing we wanted to talk about here uh, before we call it a show? Uh, this article that came out in the Athletic uh, just a couple days ago from Jeff Reuter, uh, talking about uh, the USL proposing a blanket pay cut uh, for USL championship players. Um, kind of the, the gist of it is uh, the league, on behalf of the clubs, on behalf of the owners, uh, outlined some return-to-play protocols uh, that would essentially talk about a pay cut for players um, down to uh, about $1,800 per month for players uh, depending upon if they are receiving housing from the club and, and things like that. RJ, I want to get your, your initial take on kind of your your thoughts when you read this article uh so it's confusing because it's like if a player makes more than 1500 per month they do this and if they don't make this and then if there's housing involved uh and the 20 percent, 80 percent, like it's really confusing and it kind of tied me up a little bit understanding what's going on uh but i i don't like it i don't like punishing the players uh for this um especially in the usl level the usl players aren't making a lot of money they're not they're not making major league soccer or baseball or nfl type money uh so punishing them for something that's completely out of their control out of their purview uh just doesn't seem right but on the other hand i mean i could kind of see where the ownership the league is coming from uh there are teams that i don't think can survive this uh financially um so i i guess i get it but i i don't like it yeah i'm inclined to agree with you i think there's uh there's a split on this for me on one hand um you you would hope that the players just like everybody else would be willing to to share the burden you know front office staff uh you know they're they're all sharing the burden just like players potentially would be here but at the same time the way i look at it is Owners, when they brought these players in, they brought these players in without revenues. Uh, they agreed to, they agreed to these contracts. They agreed to pay these players without revenues. So they should be willing to pay the contracts as they are. Um, like I said, I go back and forth because I think everybody should be willing to share the burden and split it to make sure that clubs survive. Um, we're very fortunate, RJ, you and I, that we support a club that that will survive. Um, but not every club is that fortunate. No, there's there's several clubs that uh, I mean that j- probably aren't gonna come out of the other end of this. Um, I mean, the two teams will be fine. They they're kind yes. of taken care of. But but the independent teams, uh, there's there's a lot of teams that just aren't going to be able to make it. They were already, you know, operating in the red or barely making it as is. So something like this, and then having to pay the salaries of players. Um, but like I said, the players aren't making much, so it's it's hard to expect to demand X player who is living, you know, thousands of miles away from his family and has been here for so long to now take a pay cut. Well, and I, and I agree with you. I agree with what you, exactly with what you just said. In addition to that, like it's, it's getting your pay cut to let's say $1,500 a month, which is the number if, if you uh, receive housing from the club, right? Let's say you are a player who gets your salary cut to $1,800. We'll go with that for a player who does not um, receive housing from the club. If, you, you know, if you're making $2,200 a month and you're cut to $1,800, it may not 
feel that different. But if you're a player who's making six grand, or I don't, I don't know what the numbers are. You know, these numbers aren't public on what their salaries are, but it could be a massive cut percentage-wise for some of these players. And again, a lot of them really don't make a lot of money anyway. Yeah, I mean, if you look at, I mean, look at that number, fifteen hundred dollars, eighteen hundred dollars a month. That's yeah. not a week. That's not uh, a day. That's a month. That's not much. I mean, I, I get the housing is paid for, and I think maybe some food. I think so for. too. Yeah, uh, but but still, all the training that you're doing, everything that's going on around it. I mean, that it seems like they could find that money somewhere else. It doesn't seem like the players maybe are the first place they should be looking for that. Yeah, and Andrew here in the chat says he'd be curious to hear about our USLPA rep speak on this. Uh, that Our rep is Devin Sandoval. Uh, I would love to talk to Devin about this. Um, I would love to talk, frankly, talk to Peter. I'd love to talk to the club owner about this. I'd love to hear both sides of this. Um, and, and I think it's important that we don't necessarily pit it as a as a two sides thing. Let me correct myself there. You know, it's not it's not the players versus the owners in a lot of situations. You know, our I think we we our ownership has earned the right for us to give them the benefit of the doubt. Um, you know, not every ownership has, not every ownership for every club has. But uh, you know, I would love to hear where everybody stands on this within the New Mexico framework and how it could work uh, with regard to our club as well. So something that we'll dig into, RJ, I think something we can pursue uh, potentially for a future episode. How, what does this look like uh, on, a more, on a more micro level from a New Mexico standpoint? Well, for, I think before I go to that, uh, I think this is being done by the league so that New Mexico kind of keeps their hands out of it like the ownership keeps their hands out of it this is being done by the league uh i, I think there are some teams that would say no we're not going to take this player's salary yes um we're going to pay them everything they, they they deserve and there's other teams that want it and then the league is stepping in saying we're not going to let this be unfair where some teams are are not doing this and some teams are well and um, i bet so I think sorry the league ahead. is coming and I, and I bet, I'd be willing to bet, to your point, there will be some, like, if the league institutes this and they can find a way to make this happen, there will be some teams, uh, hopefully ours, who would not go along with this. And, and, and maybe, you know, maybe there would be someone in the middle of what you said. You know, there will be some clubs who go, you know, take every dollar they can get back from their players, and there will be some clubs who don't do it at all. I bet you there will be a ton of clubs who are somewhere in the middle. I bet you most clubs will be somewhere in the middle and maybe take you know, 20% as opposed to what, I mean, this could be like a 60% cut for some players. Um, and, you know, that sounds, in my opinion, sounds a lot more reasonable. Yeah, and, I mean, if, if teams do that, will they be penalized? If teams decide that, hey, we're not going to take salary away from the players, um, would the league come down on them? Would they, they find, find each team? Yeah, and I, I, I hope that they wouldn't because, again, our players – First of all, they deserve to, to be paid the money that they agreed to when they signed their contracts. I think I think that's first and foremost. Um, you know, they signed a contract, they had an expectation, and obviously nobody expected COVID. Nobody could have predicted what's happened over the last year. But these players signed contracts, and those contracts were signed without revenues. So I think, uh, you know, if you have to do a small cut, um, I think a small cut is understandable. But for the most part, these players should be paid what they what they were what the the, the, the contracts say they should be paid. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Um, and, and but I see your point when you said that a, a show of goodwill for the players to also take a cut. You know, just like front office members, just like the concession members, uh, staff. Uh, you know, everyone's taking a cut, so the players should also take one but it just seems that the level of pay is not there 
Well, and I also want to point out that all of this is in the scenario that we do not have a season. So none of this matters if we're playing matches in a month, you know. Uh, so I just want to make that very clear. And hope hopefully that's the case. Hopefully we don't even have to really worry about this. Um, hopefully it's to the point where we're playing matches in, in a month uh, and, and people are getting paid and everything's hunky-dory. Yeah, I mean, it seems like steps are being taken in the right direction for that. There was some practices this week. Um, you know, it seems like maybe they will get the chance to play some games later this summer. I uh, I cannot wait. Even if we can't be in the stadium, you know that's a possibility too. If they, they play in front of empty stadiums, you better bet we'll be watching them with all with bated breath and cheering on our clubs from wherever we are. Even if they did allow us in the stadiums, I don't know if I would go. Yeah, I mean that seems like it would be kind of a petri dish, right? Yeah, I, I would. I think I would. You know, I'm going to watch the games from afar this season. Uh, depending on what happens with everything, vaccinations and you know slopes and stuff like that we'll sure. see what happens next season but I, even if they did allow fans i i would have a hard time you know being in the stands this season yeah it's a little it's a little scary it's a little scary but again my guess i mean i can't i can't see a situation where they allow fans this year i just and maybe i'm wrong maybe i'm wrong um but i just my guess is they'll play matches in front of empty stadiums yeah, and I think that's that's what's going to happen in in not just this league, but every league across the board. I think MLB, MLS, uh, everyone is going to be playing games in front of no one. Yeah, I think that's. I I'm inclined to agree with you, man. I'm inclined to agree with you. Okay, RJ, I don't think I had anything else uh, that I wanted to hit on. Or was there any other topics you wanted to hit before we uh, before we go? I think that was it. That was an awesome interview with Peter Davis. Uh, really thankful for him to to spend some time with us. He he was. It was great, very informative. Yeah, and like I said, a little bit biased uh, for the goalkeeping. From from my perspective, I, I'm I'm a little biased, but uh, was was great to talk to Peter. He did a great job, uh, and again, a lot of fun to talk to. Uh, big surprise, uh, Troy hired another great person and another great coach. I'm shocked. Yeah, another good human being uh, brought to the the community from from the staff. Yeah. Oh, Andrew said in chat, good point, buy merchandise bundles. Yes. Uh, so we have uh, three new merchandise bundles. We've never done bundles before. This is the brainchild of Lindsay Allen. Um, we have three uh, merch bundles. One is the runner's bundle. One is the pet lover's bundle. And one is the concert lover's bundle. Each of them has a bunch of cursed merch that's specific to that. Uh, and Andrew just posted the link. Thank you, Andrew. Um and uh, there's a limited number of them. I think there's 10 of each. So, And I know they're already selling pretty quickly. So if you want to get one of those, uh, get on them pretty quickly here. Um, great job by Lindsay. So you get some discounted merch uh, and a whole bunch of it. And it supports us as we support United and as we support the community. So uh, a lot of fun. Uh, Chingon Records, Jake. Great stuff as always. Thank you very much, Jake. Uh, loved your interview with Stone Brewing uh, president the other day, by the way. That was really awesome. Uh, the Loyalist Pod, if you get a chance... Uh, check that out. Jake does a great job. Uh, he was talking San Diego Loyal and, and the uh, again, their sponsor, one of the coolest sponsors in the league, maybe other than Meow Wolf, uh, Stone Brewing. Um, that was a great interview. So uh, thank you all so much for tuning in, RJ. Um, I think we hit it all, man. I think it was it. Yeah, uh, good job by Andrew Bolte, the treasurer of the curse, making sure we get her up. <laughs> he's, earning, he's earning his keep. <laughs> he is. Thank you, Andrew. All right. Well, all right. Until next week, uh, RJ, somos unidos. We are united. For the taking, the earth is shaking from that groove.
groove it quaking Coming out of this guitar and, and the beat goes on and on and on From day 